Welcome to the Self-Made Mind Podcast. We'll be bringing you real-life, honest conversations with some of the world's elite performers, from sporting athletes to millionaire CEOs and everyone in between. Success leaves clues. And it's now our mission to deliver these stories so you can start writing your own self-made script. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Mind podcast. My name is Alex O'Keefe. And I'm Craig Billington. And we've got a very special guest with us today. It's a bit close to home, this one for us. is uh, one of our good pals, it's Lou Campbell. He is a um, former professional rugby player. He's a motivational speaker. And he's the co-founder of Andy's Man Club. Doing great things is the big man. And he's here with us today. Welcome, Luke. Hello, boys. Thanks for having me on. No right. problem, pal. It's um, like I say, we're, we're all we're all close friends as it is, and it's it's a pleasure to have you here with us today, buddy. Um, so yeah, how, how are you getting on? First good, yeah, good. Obviously, we're now in uh, lockdown too. Nothing much has changed for me. Been a been a bit of a, a wild year. Uh, very different to what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of positives have come from it, a lot of changes for me personally. Uh, very positive ones, mindset-wise, physically-wise, but uh, there's also been some some downsides to the uh, to the madness as well, but I'm sure we'll get into to some of that today. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, mate, but let's let's obviously, like any good story, let's let's take it back to the beginning, Loki, and uh, if you can just tell us a bit about your, your childhood, mate, and, and where you grew up and what went on. Go right back to the beginning. My head yeah. was that big that they, I couldn't physically come out of my mum. She wasn't uh, man enough to push me out. So they cut me out of her. That's how we'll go back to that early stages. So I've always had a massive head. So the, the nice hat that Craig's wearing will not fit my head. I was at this frigid. So that's how we talk about that early. That, that's that one. But um, I, I will like to go back. I come from a very good background. Um, in terms of loving family, mom, dad, uh, and older brother. Um, you know, every family's got its complications. You know, I look back at our earliest challenges as a family, which I don't often speak about publicly too much, that my brother had a, a, an amputated leg um, when he was born, like literally within 18 months, um, which which create, created a lot of, uh, you know, pressures from my parents. I mean, as a, a little boy with a, an artificial leg, and then along came me, a bit of an handful, um, so, you know, home life though, overall, I had a very hardworking dad, very hardworking mom. You know, mum's uh, quite entrepreneurial. Uh, dad's uh, just an all-round, be- my best mate, you know, my best mate, and uh, just an all-round good guy. Um, eight years old, our parents decided to separate. Uh, my way of dealing with it was comfy eating, uh, which meant I got real big, which I went to school, got, you know, got bullied. You know, a lot of kids uh, will go through that and relate to that, and that was difficult. Because uh, at the same time, as my parents separated, my dad won custody, which going back 20 years ago, you know, a little bit longer now, we're unheard of for a guy to win custody of two young boys, but he did. And then my mum had a car crash, which left her with brain damage, um, that she still has to this day. She has a condition now called need non epileptic attack disorder, which basically she drops and falls. So she lives in a disabled bungalow, she's not allowed stairs because when she falls downstairs, a good chance she can die. She's not allowed a bath because when she falls in bath, which I can drown because you don't have carpets because when you fall on carpets, it usually rips all the skin off her arms and face. So that was difficult. And her anxiety got that bad that she didn't leave the house for four years, not once. 
um, and then a depression like that, you know, at some points, she, you know, she'd have been suicidal. So that, that was difficult. I learned a lot about mental health because before it became the buzzword, before people, you know, knew too much about it. So, um, but overall, with a lot of these type of, you know, podcasts and interviews and stuff I've done, I, I probably portray that I, I had a, a tough childhood. But realistically, when I look back now, I had a very, very good childhood. There were just some traumatic stuff that happened within that. But um, brilliant childhood, brilliant. Yeah. It sounds like you were kind of forced to mature quite early from some quite traumatic things happening to you. Would you say that's that's quite... Yeah, I think that's always sort of how I've been, um, you know, a little bit older than, than my age, uh, uh, probably most ages, you know. Um, but, yeah, just, just some of the stuff, you know, other people wouldn't have been dealing with that, that I wasn't, my brother would have been, were different. You know, people wouldn't have really got it. Like, there were lots, you know, people think this stigma now around mental health. You know, back then, 20 years ago, you know, most people thought my mum, when she had a four-inch street, were just pissed up. So, you know, that's why she had her anxiety so bad, she didn't leave the house. Um, and then even for us, you know, we didn't always believe it. We thought that maybe stepdad would give her a kick in and, and then we were too young and we got older. I remember us both, you know, threatening him if it was was the case that would give him a good hiding and that, um, yeah. me and my brother. But, you know, it turned out that, you know, this is a condition and it's real. And um, it was tough, you know, seeing your mum like that, someone you, you know, you admire so much. Yeah. Such a compassionate person as well. Um, having something that she can't control, um, you know, weren't nice. So talking about yourself in terms of like you, you mentioned you were bullied and stuff in school and like in high school, did that affect you mentally in terms of like wanting to I'm quitting, don't want to do school, don't want to do that, or was it a driving force in terms of you, you know what, I'm gonna show them and just boom and, and just go forward with it all? Yeah, good good question. I've always been uh, prove people wrong. Um, always, you know, I've always had doubters in every single thing that I've done. Um, even before playing rugby before that so I've, I've always had this thing about proving people wrong um, even so much so that like you know like when I went to high school it wasn't probably as bad as it was in primary school I went to high school I remember I started going boxing I used to always come back at cross country always a big kid at school always come back and then at year nine I found boxing fell in love with it and I, I lost a shitload of weight uh, and became really fit to a point of life. I think I came second in our year at cross country and sort of a bit of an eye opener for everyone then. And then I didn't really ever get any shit then, year nine onwards, which I think some people who went to high school understand the earlier stages. But that then obviously kickstarted me rugby really good. You know, I were always fit uh, and I love fitness now. So, but it's always been proved people wrong, which initially were, were really good. Uh, these last two years, probably you have when you've, your motivating factor is proving people wrong. Is when there's no one else left to prove. When there's no one else left to prove wrong, um, because then there is no motivating factor. If that's the only thing that drives you. And I've had that um, tough period quite recently, where you know most people know that if I say I'm going to do something now, I do it. Yeah. So then there is no one to prove wrong. So it's about finding something else inside you that, uh, which is what I'm currently working on. Yeah. So in terms of like. You say you're proving, um, proving people wrong, sorry. What happens when it fails? So, right, I'm going to prove them wrong. And you don't prove them wrong. Or you kind of go, all right, failed. Is it kind of just brush it off? Or is it kind of just like, you know what, I want to do something else? Or how do you deal with that, you know, in terms of like mindset or stuff? You know I, mean? I don't think I've ever actually failed at anything. No. Uh, and you could say, well, you got to let go from Lee Rhinos. Um you know, so that were a failure, you didn't make first team there. 
But but I see things as like every single thing that ain't quite gone the way I'd have wanted it to. You know, and that's why I call it a failure as such. Because we all do fail at things. When I say I've never failed, I don't mean that. I mean, the way I view it is everything has led me to exactly what I'm doing right now. You know, and you could go from mum's car crash to uh, not getting in at Leeds Rhinos to what happened next there when I got in a series of, uh, of, of downward spirals to Andy dying to the, even to the coffee shop, right? You know, all these series of things that you might look and go, well, that didn't quite work as you planned. But it's led me to exactly where I am now. Um, and I won't change one thing. Obviously, if I could go back, I'd rather Andy be here. I'd rather my mum not have a car crash. But, but you can't go back. So the way I look at it is, is that I can only make the best out of what's happened. So if I want to go and open a, a new business right now and in a year's time it doesn't work, there'll be lessons I've learned from that business that I'll never do again on another business. Mm. Or um, if there's certain thing I try in my relationship that just doesn't work, I know not to try that again. Or as a dad, you know, and there's some stuff there that I'm, I'm currently working on. So I think in life it's about like what you learn, whether yeah. it's success or whether it doesn't go so, so good. And the famous saying I heard of Will Smith, and it's literally made, all through Andy's Man Club, uh, all through anything that I've done that's been good or bad, is that you don't let success go to your head, and you don't let failure go to your heart. And there's a lot of bound, battles with that. Uh, when you have a lot of success, it is quite easy to let it go to your head. And when you have a lot of negative happening or negative press and people saying stuff, it can go to your heart. But it's about trying to get that balance back quite quickly. Yeah, man. Yeah, brilliant, Matt. Um, that's that's quite a recurring sort of theme we hear with people that we've spoke to already. It's like you've got to you've got to have a good relationship with failure, I think, and you've got to kind of welcome it. Not welcome it, but you know, mm. it, it's in, it's inevitable. Like you say, you can't change it, um, but you, you can control how you react to it. And and I think I think if we asked you, do you have any regrets? You'd probably say no. Would I be right? Yeah, none, not one. Yeah. And that comes to like the failure side of things again. Mm. Um, yeah, good, brilliant, mate. Um, so after after your childhood, then um, school time. When when did you get into rugby? Uh, eight years old. It was actually like uh, my escape. Yeah. You know, a place where uh, rugby were like the one where when you're a fat kid in rugby at that age, you're the man, aren't you? So like that were a place where like I could go be the man and loved it. So that that were like my my happy place for a number of years, you know, which didn't always come, you know, as I like things happened even in, in, in youth youth bit. But like um I I've always had this theory like playing rugby that, you know, I would just always work harder than everyone else. So when I lost my weight and went into boxing and them sort of stuff started instilling in me, I just won't bother about being better than anyone. And so I always wanted to be fitter than anyone because I knew that like at the end of a game or at some point, stuff would work out for me. Um, so I used to do like mad stuff that no one knows about. Like uh, I'd go running like Christmas morning, New Year's morning. I do, you know, like the 5am stuff that, you know, we've been doing a bit lately. That was like a norm for me. So we'd be always decided to run stiff-legged. I got given a plyometrics programme off a friend to help me. And every morning I went outside in front of my house at like 13, 14 just working on myself, going boxing every night. I used to go in a big, uh, you know, the industrial bin bags. Mm -hmm. I used to go in them because I really wanted us to get this way off. And I used to tuck it in my shorts. I'd ride to boxing. I'd box for a full hour, ride home. And then when I used to go, I used to get in bath. And it used to just, I used to just take it off and just puddle. And I went about 
a litre, two to three litres of sweat just used to drip off me. Uh, so I've never been a, never been afraid of hard work. Um, but when you talk about back to failure, what I've learned is is that I'm very good at building towards something. I'll get into exactly where I want to be, but then it's quite easy to, to stop doing what you did to get there. Uh, and I found that uh, a lot in my life, yeah. and that's all something that I'm, I'm I'm working on as we go now. Mm. Um, you know, to get that continuous progression, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you, is is what you're saying there? You you have to have a a goal to work what to work towards with a kind of end goal? Do you mean? Yeah, well, the problem is, is when you have an end goal and you do reach where you want to get, you, you will always realise that it wasn't always what you thought it'd be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't, you know, um, when you're building towards something, that's the fun of it. That's the excitement. But I think, like, you've always got to be moving the goalpost ever so slightly, yeah. just ever so slightly, just so you can strive to be more, so you can strive to, if you have more, whatever that is for you. Because the minute you stop, like, everyone else catches you up. Yeah. Like, life catches you up. Because life's always moving, but the minute you stop, it's going to get away from you. And that's probably like in rugby and everything, like where I was always the guy that always there, like doing extra sessions. Maybe at points in my rugby career, maybe I, I stopped doing some of that. Um, started doing what other people were doing. Well, maybe I wasn't as good as them. So like, you know, I, I had to do the other stuff. And maybe some of that stuff could have looked back and gone, if you just done that slightly different, maybe you'd have stayed in top league a little bit longer. You know, like even in, with some businesses, it's been very similar. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So going away from you've come out of school, you've started obviously a professional career of, of rugby and stuff like that. But a lot of people don't know that your business is speaking. You're a speaker. Yeah. Um a lot of people just think you do just play rugby. But how did you get into that? That's like, you know, how do you get into that? At what point um, do you, you know what? I'm just gonna stand on stage and I'm gonna tell people. Yeah. And where more, did that come yeah, from? Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, two, two places, really, um, which is, you know, no one ever really asked that, which is good. It's our, when I left Leeds, I had this real downward spiral. I ended up at Halifax um, and I got given a, a job, or I got a job called Business Development Manager. So I had to go around and meet people. And I once went and met this charity called Upbeat. Uh, and it, at the time, I didn't even know what I were about. I just knew that there were a charity that were in schools a lot and they were called the Hill Council run charity. Uh, now called the Better Living Team, and they were just in school. So I went to meet them to find out how we could get access to kids to get them to our games, and that's what we're about. We're about trying to grow the grow the Halifax brand, and and that were it. And then when we started talking, I started to get when I, she must have thought a lady at the time, Karen, that I knew what their charity did. And just as we got up to leave, because you told me how many kids they were in school, I said, "What what is it exactly that, that you do?" And she said, "Oh, I thought you knew that. We, we get like." Oh, uh, underactive kids active so basically unhealthy kids so I went oh like big kids like I was she went oh were you, were you a big kid and I went yeah let me find a picture so I showed her a picture mm. and she went my god like yeah we never had a kid as, as big as you like that had a bit of a joke she went you should come to a talk to kids like they'd, they'd love it mm. and I was like oh, what I want to talk about and at the time I thought you know it's actually been quite a bit at that time that I couldn't relate to them you know just got back from New Zealand um, doing some stuff there played in a World Cup and it, it, it was like were quite a bit, so I went home and pieced it together. And Keith Senior lived with me at the time, and he were on after the dinner circuit, and he had like an iPad where he'd put pictures just to remind him what to speak about. So I thought I'd try that. So I went delivered this talk, it went down, you know, unbelievably. So they invited me back again to do another one, then do one to parents. Um, and then uh, Frank Martin uh, ran me one time and said, Listen, I met this mental health uh, 
I mean, they were asking me to do a talk at his mental health. I don't know about it. Um, I know that you've said in the past, uh, I think that your mum struggles. Can you come do a talk? So I was sat in Frankie Ben's having breakfast with Lisa and I'm like, yeah, I had no idea what to do. So I just rocked up. Uh, as soon as I got there, they were waiting. They gave me a microphone and I just talked about like, what it's like having a mum with mental illness. This was like maybe eight years ago before anyone were doing this stuff at all. Uh, again, went down like an house on fire and then I opened a gym really weirdly. And as they opened this gym, it all this what I mean about stars aligning. Um, we delivered this fitness course to these, these kids who were disengaged, these young people. And at the end, the speaker didn't turn up to the certificates out. And because I'd done a few of these gigs, my mate uh, Robbo, uh, when the course provider says, Oh, I've got no one to do a talk, I want to use the e book up there. Robbo were like, No, 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 not me. Luke does it all the time now. Get him up. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. But quite a bit old parents were coming. These were like not even like young, young people, 16 and 24 year old. Um, so I got up, did this talk again, just nailed it in. And I thought, whoa, wait, I can do it to primary school kids. I can do it to these kids. And then the, I ended up asking to be, become a fellow of this charity. Um, so we became like a figurehead for this charity uh, called Brave Air Trust. And then it just sort of went from there. I got invited to do more gigs. And then I just fell in love with doing it more than rugby. So I'd learn about it. So you've seen my book collection already. I'd learn about the art of communication and, and doing talks. I'd watch other speakers and I'd, I'd find bits that I liked, styles that I liked, styles that I didn't like. Um, and, and I found my own, like what I wanted to do, where I wanted to mix humour, a lot of humour with uh, reality, like real life stories that are quite, you know, brutal for people to listen to, but they're mixed with some of this hilarious. Um, and it just sort of like built from there to, you know, next minute I'm, I've been to Madrid and done it. I've been to Belgium. I've been all over the UK and still continue to do it and love it. You know, this it, it lights a fire in me that, that nothing else does. It's just mm. beyond anything, you know. I'd, I started doing it for free and, um, you know, even now, even though it's a, a good business that I have, it's still um, something that anytime I get asked to go to a school or, I know I might not have much of a budget, I'll do it for free. And depending on how well I'm doing work-wise, I'll just I'll do a lot of free gigs for people just to help them out. Because I enjoy it. I just love the I love the process of it. It's just a mm-hmm. it's probably like you two playing football. It's just it yeah. does something for me that rugby never did. Yeah. yeah. So were you still playing rugby at this point then? You know, when you first started speaking? Yeah, obviously playing at Leeds, you do a lot of uh, media stuff. So you get, you, like, there was stuff in there that you do, you go around schools and you do a little type of presentations. But my own personal speaking, I was still playing rugby yeah, for, a, for a number of years, like doing it alongside. You know, I didn't really turn it into a business until like um, two years after being at Halifax. I joined Halifax 2012. So 2014, I started that. Um, the confusion people get for me is that because Andy's man club's so big, you know, what we've built there is that it's the same thing. And his man club, Andy did die till 2016. I was doing a lot of the stuff I'm already doing within mindset, well-being, long before Andy's man club. And it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, for a lot of people. But yeah. without the mindset I built from the struggles I've been through, you know, which we'll go into, like it, it built this mindset, this guy who's here now, to have this what's next mentality that I built, that I live my whole life by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it all, it all went for. So, you know, that started first and it was just... That's where the journey began, even while playing rugby. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So, can you tell us about when rugby came to an end for you, then, and how you know why why you made the decision to to stop playing? Yeah. So when I was at Leeds, I remember sat in Leeds, genuinely, 
surrounded by the world's best players, like some of the world's best players, like Jamie Peacock, Kevin Simville. And maybe I never felt that I deserved to be there because it was far. All I ever had a dream of was seeing Ambler on TV, my shirt, like on my dream. And I think sometimes like the law of attraction is a, a weird thing because you can put it out there and then you can get it. But like that's all I ever dreamed, really. So like when I get to Leeds, which were far beyond my expectations, and I ended up playing for Leeds first team with Ambler on the TV, you know, I probably never readjusted my goals to like, now I want to hit 50 games or I want to hit 100 games. It was just like, I was sort of happy that that were it. Um, then went to London, that were an experience, going at 20 year old, moving away from my family, living in a house with a lot of lads you don't know. You know, your missus coming down every other month or something. Like it was just a, you know, my, my family tried to come down, but you just isolated away. That was difficult, a real difficult year for me. That it was probably the rock, the worst move really like that I could have made in my rugby career. Yeah. Um, for some people it's the best um, but going down there yeah do you know what it set me up uh, in a lot of different ways I became a man you know I managed to buy an house when I came back and there were a lot of good stuff that happened but in terms of like being down there um, not with the same, same calibre of players that, that Leeds was it would just I should have stayed at Leeds brought a new manager in it had all changed so when Leeds let me go when I got back you know off the spur of a moment it were just like my world had crumbled uh, started comfy eating again, like being a kid, started going out drinking. My missus had left me, you know, I'd sleeping around. And then, um, you know, one night I ended up exploding, got in a big fight, beat up a lot of doormen, smashed up, you know, liquid nightclub in Halifax, door at the side, and ended up finding myself sat in a police cell. Um, and although I, you know, it wasn't any further than that, that was my rock bottom because I have a, a, a side of my family that have been in a lot of trouble. My dad's completely opposite of that. I've got a very good role model. My dad who never went down route with a lot of his family. Doesn't really drink. Never gambled. Not that he's all wrong with his stuff, but he's never done drugs. Like he's very clean cut. My dad, and that was like my idol. And then I felt like I'd let him down. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really upset when I had to ream and say, "Listen, I'm messed up here." Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, at that point, I thought my rugby career might have been over. So I'd only just signed at Halifax. No, I've been at Halifax a year. My form was terrible. I ballooned in size. My coach had already said, I think I'll look at a one-year deal. He said, yeah, another year's deal at the end of that. So he said, like, you won't be getting in team. But then I, then I had that thing in me, what I told you all about earlier, about proving people wrong. The minute he said to me, you'd be lucky if you're on bench, I knew what I had to do. And that following year, I went on to have the best year I'd ever had, um, ever. Like, I was untouchable that year. I think I got uh, in team at year in that competition, uh, you know, fans player at year. Uh, one try away from being Terry Fogarty's all-time top, you know, props try scorer. I were untouchable, I fit as I've ever been. Um, and then a year after that, a new coach came in, uh, and he was a good guy, Rich. It just didn't work for me. Um, I was probably too well into the club, you know. Like I was Mister Fax, you know. Like I used, to, I you know, imagine this that a new coach comes in. And I'm best mates with CEO and I'm showing coach around where we're going to train. And it ended up, ended up training at my gym. So Halifax team, which I were a part of, trained at my gym with a deal that I'd done with club. They were all a little bit mad, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So a um, few years, it was touch and go. But the year before Andy died, again, proved people wrong. That coach, because I was such a, a good player the year before, with all this, I had a bit of hype about me. And he sort of liked his mind games and probably messed with me a bit. The year after that, after I had a real bad knee injury, I wanted to prove him wrong. And I started the year like an house on fire. Like, uh, then Andy died. Um, and it just changed it all for me. It changed what I believed that I wanted to do in life. It changed, like, my old values. Um, it just changed how I felt about rugby. 
and felt about life and what, you know, impacting people and, and all that other type of stuff. So, yeah, the defining moment for me quitting rugby was probably Andy dying. I didn't realise it at the time, but that was uh, definitely one of the defining factors of me quitting rugby. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then, obviously, Andy's man club is born. Yeah. Not not long after that, is is that right? Is it? Did you, did you start Andy's man club straight after Andy passed away or...? Yeah, so uh, Andy died in 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 the April two thousand sixteen, and it were it were horrendous, you know, going through that period. You know, if anyone's ever lost him on suicide, they'll better relate. Uh, but obviously, I I'd never had it; I didn't really understand it. Uh, but I always say, you know, tell my little boy his favourite uncle had died, and hearing the screech uh, will live with me forever. Um, you know, I'm going to go tell you know his family members, ringing his best friends, who were just screaming, his cousin screaming out in the street and trap because obviously I would. Uh, brother-in-law, you know, I'm sort of like outside that immediate family. I'm not his best mate. I'm not his brother. I'm not my son, any of that stuff. So you still feel it because you're close to him, but you don't, you know, you're not seen as feeling it as much as everyone else, which rightly so probably it wouldn't have been as been for me, but seeing your old family broken is not nice. Like everyone around you just in absolute bits. Um, you know, at a time we had a, a what, a, what, 18 month old, What's going two year old? So we had we had we had Aubrey. So then I would try to look after her and uh, Alfie while Lisa were uh, grieving, um, and it was just a, a mad experience. But what got it for me was is that because Andy didn't talk about it, um, I said that something had to be done. So I couldn't have another mm. um, family going through what we've been through. And I approached my mother in law Elaine, and uh, she were up for it. She said, "Yeah, let's 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 start something." Uh, and then one day I were in an uh, engine room where Craig used to work and I was just like, I'll do it now. And I just I just started typing. I never forget, I was sat in the window, just started typing on my thing, didn't check what I'd sent, just went boom. Next minute it blew up. Loads of people were like, I want to get involved with this, want to help. It's such a good idea. Just getting these guys talking. I had a business at the time, a unit up in uh, Ovindon. And I just invite people there. I didn't know what direction I wanted to go, but I knew that I wanted it, what the vision was. Um it's not quite the vision wasn't quite as big as what's turned out mm-hmm. um, or where it's going to go now. The vision is 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 frightening now where it is now. What um, was the vision, Luke? What was the vision when you first started? Stop, man. It, just literally, the vision then was to have this group in Halifax where men would come and instead of going and killing themselves, they'd come there and just talk. But the idea then was that we'd have to play sports, we'd have to use some of the stuff I was teaching at the time to get guys talking. And just by like the stars aligning, the first night of people that came, and I had this sponge ball. And you might see uh, around our office, we have a lot of sponge balls because that's what we give out now. Mm-hmm. Because the that night I was nervous, didn't know how to start, and I had this sponge ball. And, and this old chap, Terry, says, Right, we're ready or what? And, I, and he come and sort of help, help out. We're ready, kid. And he said, and I said, Yeah. So I, I told a bit of my story and he said, chuck, chuck me a ball. So I chucked him ball and he offloaded about losing his son, not to suicide, but, but to someone else. And it was a bit like, whoa, so he threw ball to someone else. And that guy then was like, fuck, I've got to talk now. So he opened up um, about how like, you know, I probably won't be here and what struggles he was going through. Um, and beautiful things is that that very guy who the ball went to next, um, Oliver, um, ended up, came on that dark first night then ended up becoming our number one longest standing facilitator, stayed with the organisation four years, and now has just stepped into a, a job which he's absolutely thriving in, which is a project development champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the success stories are, 
uh, in Anders Mankel. You know, there's, there's, there's hundreds we could go through, thousands. But his is one that always stands out to me because you took a guy there who were rock bottom, mm. broke up his missus, were out of work, you know, saying getting back into his job, going back to work, off sick, excelling in work, moving up the ladder at work, continuing to facilitate and helping other guys, and then now being one of our, our main men in the office. It's, mm-hmm. it's a proud moment to look back on. And I don't ever really look back on Andy's man club as, as anything I'm proud of. You know, um, you guys are sat in the Andy's man club office with probably about eight trophies up to your left, um, none of which mean anything to me yeah. at all. Never have. Never have. Nice that we get shit like that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's stories like Ollie's and seeing someone's life really change mm-hmm. that is what makes me tick. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I'm just going to delve into this a little bit. Like I know we're talking mindset and stuff like that, but I just want to ask a question a little bit on the younger generation of this country. So school kids, even like kids my age, you know, those eight years old. And I just think, how is it, could you possibly go into that sort of age group and get them to talk? Because I feel like a lot of young men, a lot of young boys, a lot of young girls as well, struggle, because I did as a child, struggle to get their emotions out and talk. Like, and I have it sometimes with my son, and it's like, why, what are you getting upset for? Just talk to me. But I feel like, is this something you've ever thought about doing in that sort of area? Just going into schools? And I know you do talk, but I mean just with kids, like. That's what that I do do so obviously um, without plugging it I've brought out the BU Kids Journal which is a, a tool to to basically start those conversations even with teacher and kids because uh, all that journal is really is questions that a parent can sit down and ask the kids and it's done in the same sort of way that I built Andy's Man Club um, a series of, of simple questions that spark conversations so for example you go Andy's Man Club and the first question you go in there that you don't, you, you're not going to talk you're just going to listen and first question is, how's your week been? It's a question that anyone's willing to answer, no matter how bad the heads are. So people always answer. And it's like, same with the kids' journal, I don't have any on me here, but like some of the questions like, who did you play with today? What did you do? What, what is it that called? What's your journal called again? Just the your kids' journal. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and these type of simple questions spark conversation. But what I personally do, so I'm in a primary school next next week, and uh, we'll do a series of emotional uh, well-being workshops where we get the kids to talk, but not in the same way as his man club, but like learning about their emotions and 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 what stuff they can do to to uh, positively impact them when they're feeling a little bit sad or you know and identify people they can talk to and that's like built around the program the BU program which is things like who can you know, who's in your hives it's all based around the B who's in your eye what's your feel good uh, cloud activities you know and there's loads of little stuff in there you know little treats for the honey pots um, but. I'm already actively working with kids uh, a lot, but I do see a cycle changing in a good sense because I think what happened is is is, is our dads were that generation that didn't talk, which then some of that stuff went on to us, but we're all starting to open up more, which means these kids below us, probably some of them are talking too much, yeah. right? Because, you know, not as a whole, there's, there's, there's occasions, say, like about your son, maybe where he doesn't talk. And when I say about talking too much, people get a little bit maybe offended by that. But, like, there comes a point in anyone's uh, cycle where they've got to go from talking to action. So they've got to go from, I'm feeling this way, I've talked about it, now I need to do something about it, so I'll get another feeling. It's like three stages. Mm-hmm. Feel away, I'll 
talk about it, I'll take an action, which will make me feel a different way again, four stages, right? But too many, some these two types of people, some people will just talk and talk and talk about how they feel, never take another action, which never changes the way they feel. So it is changing, it is changing definitely, but we're now creating other issues for kids, too much technology, too much, you know, early interaction on social media. Um, there's a lot of stuff there that, that need identifying fast. Um, but I think that'll take care of itself eventually. I think it'll implode, um, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so can you tell us where, where we're up to today, Luke, with, with Andy's Man Club and just what size we're at today and kind of what, what everyone's achieved? Yeah, so um, pre-lockdown, we just did uh, 997 men on a singular night, mm. which is like, you know, a lot of men, a thousand men. If you lined, lined a thousand men up of all different shapes, sizes, different backgrounds, some will be very, very... Uh, that's what's nice when I was just thinking about it. I did a video with Lad Bible where I said, Andy's man comes from over your chief operating director of a multinational company. Are you currently homeless? Andy's man club doesn't discriminate. And that literally is on his man club. I could get a thousand men lined on a street and there'll be guys there who are on over hundred grand a year and some guys who are currently homeless. When they're in that room together, there's no ego. They're just non-judgmental guys who are all going through their own struggles. But we'll just go in there and, and talk. Um, so we're up to nine, we're 997. Then we had COVID, which every organisation had to adapt. We were, we were ahead of the game. We already transitioned straight onto online. So we had a very small gap between closing our doors and getting straight back online. Um, we're up to four staff. We're currently recruiting two more. We're going to review that in March. We'll probably take on an additional two. And we have over 200 regular active volunteers. So in terms of size, it's quite a big organisation now. Um, and growing, you know, we're nowhere near the size of some of the other suicide prevention charities. But in terms of impact, I don't think there's many doing as much as us. I'd say maybe Samaritans uh, would be the only one who has as big impact mm-hmm. as on this bank club right now. Yeah. And certainly, other than it, the AA, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't think there's a bigger peer support network out there. Yeah. I think it's the biggest male mental health movement on the planet right now. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever kind of take a bit of a step back and and just think, just have a look at it for a second at what what you've achieved and and just think, wow, that's never weird. weirdly. Why do you think that? Why do you think you don't not done that? Because it's such a big job to do. Mm. And I have this with me with my staff uh, and trustees and anyone else who's part of the family that we've won an award on a Saturday on a Sunday Saturday night, and on Sunday I said, "Well, back to work tomorrow," or back in the office Monday, mm. and it, it's not like I don't celebrate. Like life still needs saving again Monday. So like it's all nice that you've won an award and it's all pats on back. It's back to work Monday. And I'll give you a recent example. We, we've struggled out everyone in COVID. We've managed to get all 36 club, clubs open bar one uh, because they're not comfortable at minute opening. So the, the talk all the way through this last few months, weeks has been getting clubs open. That's been the chat in our month and our weekly Monday meeting. So I went in last week and said, you know, awesome work, everyone. Pat on backs and all that. Now that's gone. Pat on backs have gone because we've got them all up. And what's next? What new clubs have we got on the horizon? What's the next steps? How do we get better? How do we help more people? Yeah. And that's where I've got, as leader of this organisation, got to continue to see forward. So, mate, like, I've done some mad stuff, like absolutely mad stuff. But I'll, I'll give you where my life's at. Like when you talk about maybe take a step back. 
I once were very fortunate enough to get invited to go meet Prince Charles at his house, right? A kid from up in Ovindon, single parent background, you know, I had no right to be there in my eyes, right? And I got in there and it, it was unbelievable. I got to speak to him. They were, everyone there were buzzing about what, what we'd done with it. It's okay to talk, you know, the big global movement. And it, it were amazing. And I started to think, you know, with some of the people I was speaking, um, you know, they were friends of the royals and they were blown away by me. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I need to live my life differently. And I'll never forget, I got a train on and it had blown up on social media. Everyone was buzzing with the fact I'd been at Sea Prince Charles and all this other shit. And I went, got back to the school room to get the kids and managed to get back in time the day after. And my missus texted me saying, don't forget the mince for shepherd's pie. And I'll never forget that. And it was like, boom, crash, bang, back to reality. This yeah. is real life. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, no matter what award we've won, no matter how big things have gotten, no matter we've done Sky News Live, whether we've done Lad Bible, whatever we've done, nothing really. Like, I just know that an hour from now, tomorrow, we're just back to getting the job done. Yeah. Um, and it never changes. It never changes. And I'm not saying that a company with like a whip. Like, if you ask people, most people don't get to see the real me. Like, I come in here and just have continuous banter and, like, have laughs with staff and it's just funny. Like, they'll say, they'll say to me sometimes, can you go now? Like, we don't get all done when you're here. Like, because it is a family for me. That's what it is down here. It's a family and I don't want to lose that. Um, but at the same time, like, standards are driven because lives need to be saved. Yeah, definitely. But while we're just on that that mental health sort of section there, Luke, we just, I just wanted to kind of put you in a bit of a scenario. Um, so I don't know if you're aware, but recently there were a, a young lad from uh, Manchester City, um, Jeremy Whiston. Did you hear about him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so obviously he um, played for the club from when he was 13 years old. Uh, got released, I think, when he was 17, 18. And uh, he, he ends up, you know, taking his own life, um, which was obviously a disaster. Um, just want to kind of put you in a scenario, so we we can we go back in time and uh, we see, we see this this young lad is um, just being released. He's walking out of the training ground at Man City. Uh, you know, he's got his head down. He's he, he thinks it's you know there's no future for him there. Um, if you could just kind of put your put your arm around him for for a couple of minutes, what what kind of words would you would you say to him? It's all going to be all right. Yeah. I think the problem is, is people make, and I know the scenario there, the way that it got uh, reported in the media that Man City let let's, the young man go and he killed himself two years after he takes his life. Mm. So there's something that's happened within two years that might not even be football related. There's nothing to say that that was definitely football related. There could have been a relationship break down. There could have been a series of you know trauma from years ago. But it's easy to piece people to think what they thought happened. But if we are going on the scenario that it was to do with football, like that guy needed his arm around him a lot long before as everyone else does because not everyone is going to get what they wish for like they're not like that's reality of life yeah. but like you can still make the best of the situations like just because you don't quite become number one at Man City or get to you know play first team at Man City there's hundreds of opportunities out there and I think where people go wrong for me where it's getting let go from rugby when they start to struggle or football or whatever it may be is People don't understand the amount of skill sets they've learned being in that type of environment, the type of mindsets they've built, that if applied right, they can put into any other industry. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it's like, I have this goal, don't quite work out, so my life's over. And that's a scenario for a lot of people, but it's not the truth. Like, it's just not the truth. Like, you can redirect your focus and energy at any point. And I know you might not quite have got the goal you wanted. It might be harsh. It might be, I've been there, like when the lead behind us coach at the time let me go. And it was difficult. I blamed him for years for that what happened to me next and going through my downward spiral. But like, I also thank him now because if he wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be sat here now doing, you know, with the organisation that I've got because it wouldn't have uh, materialised because I would have had no interest in this stuff. Um, but it is such a simple thing about everything's going to be all right. And at the time, he wouldn't have believed that. He wouldn't have believed that. But if it stuck around and seen that everything he thought were uh, permanent is actually only temporary. Yeah. You know, too many people uh, make a permanent decision based on temporary problems. Um, and it, it's, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, we've just got to just got to make make people aware that it's not not the final destination whenever, you know, a, we we get a setback or it doesn't quite go how we planned, it's not the final destination. Uh it's just a part of the part of the story. And uh, like you say, yeah, I think we we're talking before this and you were talking about when someone throws a wall up, you just Talk, tell us about that little analogy you're talking about. Yeah, David Goggins talk about it long before yeah. David Goggins were, were, yeah. was about when you're when you're running like life. Uh, life throws walls at you when you start having those voices in your head, that internal dialogue that says, you know, stay in bed because it's warm. Or when you're running, it's like you're tired now, your legs are getting heavy. You know, you need this is where you need to stop. And you have two options: you either let that voice win and you go on, or you say to yourself, "No, actually, I'm going to push on a little bit further." And usually, when you push on a little bit further, uh, whatever it is you're doing, right, you'll find that that wall then moves and it's it's two kilometres down the road or it's a, it's, a, it's a year down the road in your business or it's the next financial gap or it's your next staff member or whatever it may be that's going to be your next challenge. But, like, as long as you, like, learn to control that internal dialogue and you take that, that right step to push on, nothing can beat you, man. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. There's an nice. example of that from a couple of days ago with uh, me and yourself, aren't there, Luca? Yes. <laughs> you were uh, the internal dialogue, got you, didn't it? You were in your nice warm bed on a Sunday morning, seven o'clock, alarm goes off, ready to go, and you realise, actually, you know what? There might be a slight twinge in my body, which, as a rugby player and even a footballer, you'll never play a game 100% ever, ever. Mm-hmm. There's always something wrong. Mm-hmm. So... For someone like yourself, then that internal dialogue can get the better of you. It can say, well, actually, you've got a bit of a twinge, you've got this coming up, and then it's like, you know, it is warm in bed. Well, actually, if I do lay in bed, you know, and I do rest, maybe I'll be better tomorrow. And then, you know, tomorrow doesn't actually come, does it? And then before you know it, you know, internal dialogue wins on a, on a load of different things. For me, discipline is doing what you said you'd do, even when you don't feel like it. Yeah. That's what my life motto is right now. Yeah. Do what you said you do even when you don't feel like it. It's easy to do anything when you're motivated. It's easy to go on a 5K. It's easy for us now to get motivated and get pumped up and go on a 5K run now. What ain't easy is us to be motivated now and talk about a 5K run at 5 in the morning and then see how many people turn up when you are in your nice warm bed, it has got cold, it's freezing outside, it's pissing down, and you know that actually, you know what? But I tell you now, what lies out there Right, no matter how fast you go, 
the moment you get back after you've beat that internal dialogue is just one one little margin towards success mm -hmm. right and then you could go, go deep on this one and say well, what is success right for me it's a self-disciplined mind right? that's just one element there's a variety of elements to success but one would be a self-disciplined mind and again it's doing what you said you're doing when you don't feel like it those motivating factors uh, when they are there still turning up no matter what so my pet hate with you that day was if you'd have pulled out on the day which you didn't you didn't because and i knew you've got the dog in you which is why when i said to you i know you've got the dog in you and you turned up you didn't say up to anyone you turned up and you absolutely blew out of water in half marathon <laughs> in a very very good time yeah. and you yeah. thanked yourself for doing it didn't you yeah absolutely yeah i would that's, it's like you say, it comes down to small small margins, doesn't it? And if, if I'd have stayed in bed and I wouldn't have done a half marathon that day, that's the furthest I've ever run in my life. So it's just <laughs> it's just like them really small margins and just beating that internal dialogue and just, just thinking, you know what, I've said I'm going to do this, so I'm going to do it. And so Greg, I think one of you got Am I going to come on a run tomorrow? <laughs> Morning, 5.30 a.m., 8 a.m. On camera, this on is camera a thing. Now, I was just thinking about it then, you know. The last couple of days, the, my problem is, the last couple of days I've been getting into uh, uh, my other half. She's wanting to get into fitness. So she's like, I'll only do it if you help me. So I'm like, all right, fine, that's fine. So the last two days we've been, we went to the Scamming and Steps. We did that. First time I've ever seen a run, ever. It was amazing. It was like, this is awesome. And then yesterday, and this morning we did the exact same thing. We got up and she, we went on a run. We did 5K. Um, and she wants to do the same again because she's off this week. She wants to do it all every morning. So I'm just like, right, that's fine. I'll do it with you. So that's my problem tomorrow. You're asking me to go at 5.30 and I'm like, well, I could do that or I could stay in bed and then I'll go with her later on. <laughs> I, my, my mentality would be for you, if I'm in your shoes, the last two days probably haven't been as hard as you because your fit hasn't been as hard. No. So you come with us tomorrow and then your room with her is more recovery. Double yeah. bubble. I know. Um, I've missed a session. I've missed a session tonight with the with the football lads. So I'm I'm, I'm thinking about doing the exact same. You owe it. So so let's see because what you say now will be different to how you feel when that line goes off at five ten in the morning. Yeah. So this will be a good marker for when you do your next podcast to say whether you came or not. Yeah. You passed your test. Are you coming? Well, let's do it. Let's go. It. Yes, he's oh, on with Dale. There we go. And that there, people, is called uh, the art of persuasion or peer pressure. Peer pressure. That. Peer pressure. Peer, peer pressure. As long as you're doing peer pressure to, do, to put someone in to do something good for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, peer pressure to do something bad. Yeah. Well, right. going back to what we were talking about then, like the 5K, the whole 5K thing, we've, we've set up a, I, beginning of this lockdown, I set up a, a little WhatsApp group and a little challenge for people. And it wasn't uh, nothing to go, and break any records. It was kind of just a little casual, basically it were a casual little thing to get me motivated back into fitness and running. And I said, so let's do 5K every day. Let's just do it. No pressure on times, no pressure on running. Mm -hmm. And the last four times I've stood at my door and I've gone, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Literally don't want to do it. And then I get three minutes in and I'm like, now I'm flying. That's it. And each time I think I've taken 20, 30 seconds off each 5K. Yeah. So I get to end of it and I'm like, yes, I feel great. I feel awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And it's that simple. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, let's do it. Cool. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm in and then we'll, we'll go from there. So yeah. I'll see how I feel. I love that. <laughs>
Luca, just tell us about before we before we get off, mate. I know you've got some other things uh, going on in the background, pal. Um, tell us about Mind Tribe and uh, the other things in that category. Yeah, I've I've always got some on the go, but the Mind Tribe came about because I wanted to uh, step away from mental health for a little bit and and give people to be part of a tribe, my inner circle, um, and help them develop a series of daily habits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the part of a tribe now where there's an app, there's a social section of that, it's all private, where I give them daily little challenges and there's also a structure for how they should live their life with just simple stuff like moving for 20 minutes every day, reflecting for 20 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really simple and learning for 20 minutes every day. Three, you know, key uh, foundations for what the whole program is built on. I give them different tips and techniques on how to do that. Then we have a weekly group coaching accountability session. So if we were doing one, it'd be like, right, for example, Sunday night when we had it, Craig, did you do your run you said you were going to do? So this week we've levelled it up because they've all had to write down yesterday morning what they will achieve this week. Mm. Um, so Sunday, I'll bring all that up tomorrow. And it's keeping people accountable. Most people just struggle with that accountability. It's why like Craig setting his challenge. The reason why I've done his 5K every day is because he knows he's accountable to other people, which yeah. is why like I love creating groups um, of people doing stuff, whether it be going at Scamming in Steps, a group for that, whether it be going biking, whether it be going running like we do. Like a lot of groups because when you there's a saying that when you feel motivated to do something, you've got to take action then and there. So by me telling you that I'll see you at 5 30, I now can't back out of that. Because it's not me against me anymore. You know, I'm letting you down. Because if you turn up to a location we said and you're on your own, that's my uh, poor character. So I think that's what my tribe's about. It's about people saying what they're going to do and then following it through. And people are getting a lot of good benefits from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Uh, it, like I say, it comes down to these really powerful daily habits. Because uh, have you read a book called uh, The Miracle Morning? I, I've got it in there on my to-do list. It's in me. It's in me uh, bookshelf. I'd, I'd have thought you'd have already uh, read that. To be fair, because a lot of it's what you've set up in Mind Tribe. It's like, you know, uh, it, it basically it tells you to get up an hour earlier every day and get them steps in before before you start your day. So your your movement, uh, self development, um, and yeah, just like a bit of meditation as well. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of power in in the daily habits. I think rather than rather than all going for like a big goal, you kind of break it down into your daily habits. I think so. I think everyone wants to just climb Kilimanjaro straight away rather than thinking, yeah. actually, let's just let's just walk a k a day, let's walk two k tomorrow, and slowly build it, and then actually find that by doing the simple little stuff every single day, mm-hmm. the big yeah. picture ends up coming to uh, to fruition anyway. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Wicked. All right, big man. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I just, like a lot of people um, these days are quick, like you say, with social media and and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, whatever you want to say, quick to throw out a, a key, I call them keyboard warriors, throw out a comment or something like that. And everybody's got a comment about Luke Ambler because obviously he's a big man around Halifax and, and, you know, I had the pleasure of sitting down with you last year and having a lot of meetings and we set up a business together. All right, it didn't work out how we planned it, but, you know, I created a great friend in, in, in Luke. And I just want to say, I want, I want people to know who are listening and who are going to listen to this and stuff like that. I want, I want you to tell them, how much do you earn from Andy's Man Club? Oh, not a penny. It cost me a fortune. It blows me mind, this. A lot of people say, 
he earns loads from it. He's got a load of money from Andy's Man Club. And I, I, I honestly, that's the one thing I like to tell people that he earns nothing, absolutely nothing. He does it out of the love of, of, of Andy, first and foremost, and his family, but also just the love of, of people. And, and that's what mm. I love about uh, Andy's Man Club and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. the, the mad one there is a couple of bits just to, to touch on before we go is when people don't understand something. Let's go back to keyboard warriors for a second. So you get the keyboard warriors initially, and you know, keyboard warriors, I think there is some people who sit in weird little bedrooms and just type shit all day. There is them ones. But then I think there's also people who aren't meaning to be keyboard warriors who mm-hmm. think like, like I'd never go up in a pub. Like if I heard you two talking in a pub and, you know, one of you said something up to I'd never come up and just give you my opinion on yourself, yeah. right? You two could be talking about football and I could come and go, well, you know, your, your team's shit and you're a shit supporter. Right, it just won't happen unless you're in that group of people in banter. Like yeah. it's just not not happening. Where people are really vicious now to like call people out on stuff. Like, oh, I don't like you know, I don't your t-shirt. Like, oh, who, who do you think you are wearing Fred Perry? Like, it just don't make <laughs> sense. A lot of the time, this stuff don't make sense. But what happens is people make what I call throwaway comments that they think, oh, that's what they're thinking that moment in front of it, but they don't realize the impact that that can have. So someone saying he makes a lot of money from Andy's man club. It's just a throwaway comment. That person then probably carries on watching EastEnders. Don't even think about it. Didn't mean to be malicious. Just yeah. said it because that's what they felt in the moment. But yeah. when you do something for such a genuine reason and you've made it clear, my life would be easy if I just signed up and I'm just chief, chief exec now in his man club. It's easy. Right? Because I do exactly what I'm doing now in Andy's Man Club. I have all the other stresses of the business there. I run this organization. It would get me 10 times more because there'll be even more. But like, I don't want to work for this thing. I don't want to work for it. And then the flip side is, is if anyone knows, understands charities, like you've got, you're accountable to not only the char- uh, charity commission, but also to companies house. So anyone can go online right now and download our, our company documents and then see where it's happened for me is where you think like, like I've never shied away from, but I've never ever publicly bragged either that, that I have done all right for myself away from Andy's Man Club. My missus does very well for herself and we live a very simple life. Like, we've never bought the big house, like, where we've been under a lot of pressure. Like, we live a quite a simple life. We're like going all days, you know, she's got herself a nice car, we have a camper van. But other than that, like, we're not, like, showboaters. Like, I wear two for 12 River Island T-shirts. That's it. Like, so people maybe get a perception maybe sometimes of maybe something I've got, um, and they put two and two together and make five. But, like, people never look at someone's deeper story. You know, like the, the business we built for Lisa right next to you or the coffee shop that we did, you know, which is a story in itself, you know. And there's, there's a theory I've got, and I have this, whether me and Lisa break up tomorrow, uh, my sister did a little bit of, of something with her, is that my theory in life is if I leave everyone better than I found them, that's all that matters to me. So a goal of mine, a dream of mine was to have a coffee shop, right? And I found the best person um, possible in this town to do that with, which was which was you, right? Yeah. The only thing I never did with that business was ever, and it's the only thing I've ever done that wasn't truly calculated, right? So any business I ever do or any move I ever make, people think I'm impulsive, but I'm calculated impulsive. So and I'll get into the psychology of it here. So I always, I, admit, I seem like I've made an impulsive decision, but I always look at the numbers or the, the downside. With, with the coffee shop, I never did that. The business model we did were never like, if this goes wrong, there's still that to cover it. it. We're like, this goes wrong, it's on us, right? <laughs> and 
I never realised at the time the amount of work that would have to go into it. So I started like letting a load of other areas go. And I probably didn't bring my best self to party in the end up. Probably came across negative at times. And I called it being realistic. Because it was difficult. You know, we're making, you're running a business with someone else. You both maybe have different ideologies. Um, but yet we never clashed. We were always on it together. Um, and it was like one and all in mentality. But then it's just like all the stuff with like you have staff, and they're just, the staff, like, you know, as, as amazing as they, they are, and some of them were, it was just different to how we used to. Like, so, like, for me, like, I run a charity where I, where these people are obviously salaried. It's different, right? But, like, every one of them has been a volunteer before they started. And, like, every one of them, if the doors close tomorrow, no money comes in, and we can't pay them, I guarantee, and I bet my left nut on it, that if they all went and got other jobs, they'd still come back and volunteer. Mm-hmm. So, I'm dealing, I'm working with an organisation where, everyone would die for the cause. I don't mean literally, but like they would give anything for the cause. So when you go and open another business and it's literally just about being, it's just a job for people, but yeah, it's your dream. It, you know, one of my dreams, it's different because you, you employing people to see that dream. And when lockdown came, it wasn't the coffee shop that, that why I, I sold out. Like my whole life at that time, I realized was absolutely chaotic. Yeah. Not only did I have a coffee shop, I'd be you journals. I had a camper van I'd just done. So opening the coffee shop, I opened the coffee shop, I opened Lisa Roberts Aesthetics uh, Clinic while sorting out all the tenancies for that. Then me and you had our um, coffee shop, which took up way more time than it, than it were meant to, probably not even because it needed to, just because of the way I work, I'm a control freak. Right. Then I had Andy's Man Club, which were growing. We're, we just hit a thousand men at that point, which brought its own challenges with it. You know, and then I also have my own speaking business and training business. So I'm traveling from prison to prison. My kids don't like me. My missus never comes near me because I'm just the busiest man most people would ever meet. But yeah, I seem to just find time to be at all the places that I don't need to be. Yeah. Um, and when lockdown happened, it was like, boom, everything stopped. And for the first time in my life, it was just like, and I had to said to my mom sat in coffee shop one day, just before lockdown, just before COVID happened. I said, mom, do you know what? I just wish. I don't want to lose anything, but I just wish I could stop life for three months. She said, what? I just said, I wish I could stop it. I wish I could just stop now. So I don't lose anything because I still want to do it all. But three months, just there to stop and just like, just grabbing my feet. And obviously that happened when you call it law of attraction. I didn't bring on COVID, right? But lockdown... I'm not where you were at. Yeah, my fault. I'm not. <laughs> and I started getting good relationships with my kids. You know, my missus became closer. I started becoming more about like what she was doing up in her build-up. So when lockdown ended, which never did for me, I helped her get back started. She started doing really well. And for me, it was like, I told the coffee shop we'd come up with a deal because realistically, it wasn't that I didn't want to change. It was that I couldn't take on any more mm-hmm. at the time, even though I believed I could. And I still deep down know in my head that I probably could continue, but it wouldn't have been a good path. I'd put on more weight than I'd ever put on. Like, I was sloppy. My habits were sloppy. My standards were sloppy. Like everything I'm going on and practicing, uh, preaching, I don't believe I'm truly practicing. Where now, like being on a podcast like this, like any advice I'm giving, I practice. Anyone in Mind Tribe can't come on and, and not know that I go out and get it. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever miss a 5:30 a.m. session if I say I'm going to be there. Like I'll run a ultra marathon fight this year. I said that I will come out of this whole thing the happiest, healthiest, and wealthiest I'll finish this year in the three strongest ways possible. Um, and you can define wealth however you want, right? However anyone wants. But I know that my kids judge me now, uh, view me now, 
10 times better than it did going into lockdown without me even realising. I do school run every single day. I have my baby three, four times a week, um, like with me full time. Like before that was stressful to have with me full time because I was trying to juggle doing all these stuff. Where now like success to me now is a very different thing. I'm in a weird space right now because I've gone from being this real busy guy to someone who is like, I have time. Like my biggest thing I have now, which I never had before is I have a lot of time on my hands. I handpick what I want to do. I'm very, I'm working a lot smarter now than, than harder. So like, I maybe have, I'm living Tim Ferriss's four hour work week right now. <laughs> and this is the interesting thing. If I asked you, would you, would you like to strive for a life like that where it's freedom? Most people would say yes. But then there's a dark side of genius because anything overexposed, it can come detrimental. Mm-hmm. Having all that time with my daughter now can become just the norm. So like, you might like, you know, you create probably work and then look forward to getting those two hours with your kids at night. Yeah. Like, I've been with my daughter from 7 a.m. this morning until 7 o'clock tonight before I came here. So like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, this is where it's it becomes what I'm trying to work out now. Mm-hmm. It's like where you apply your energy, like mm-hmm. and how you make sure that you're still master of, of certain things, not jack of all trades again, but you still become the master of certain areas and, and just really streamlining being a dad, being a partner, being a businessman, being a philanthropist, being a chair of Andy's Man Club and making sure that those five, six key areas of my life um, all ultimately make me the best human being I can possibly be. Because 100 years from now, we're dead. Yeah. And my thing is like, what mark do you want to leave? Yeah. Yeah. Because one year ago, a lot of people would have been upset if I died. And it'd have been like, that guy upset with this club that saved my life. My kids would have been upset, but they wouldn't have had many memories with their dad. Mm. They'd have been on some nice holidays, but day to day, dad on his phone a lot. Dad would like, always oh, busy. Yeah, you know, and even though they're young, they might have been like, oh, no, it's nice what he's built. But what about me? Yeah. Yeah. I notice, I see people, like, uh, people on a different scale than me. I watch a lot of documentaries and I judge them now. So I watch one on Kevin Hart, I watch one on Mohamed Ali and they were really powerful with what they've achieved and I'm not even comparing myself at all to them, not even uh, AIO. Um, but the way the kids judged them and Kevin Hart, they asked his daughter a question that says, um, is it hard you'd have been away? And she said, no, I'm used to it now. Mm. I'm used to never seeing him now. Something like that. I thought, is him striving to be a billionaire really actually successful? Mm. Is him making the world laugh really successful if you don't make your own world laugh? Mm. And that's the thing for me. It's getting a balance between giving yourself to the world but never letting your world not have you. Mm. Mm. Amazing. I think that's that's uh, yeah. probably a, an ideal place to finish it there, mate, on, on that note. Mm. Um, but yeah, your prime example of obviously it's a terrible situation for a lot of people this lockdown, but you've chosen to use it to your advantage and kind of reconnect with yourself and and just you know just focus on the things that actually matter to you in your life. So I think that's a quite a big lesson to take away from that, yeah. to be honest. Um, but yeah, Luca, it's been it's been a pleasure, my friend. Yes. I'll see you boys, uh, well, obviously in a minute, but at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 5.30. Uh, just before we go, mate, um, can you just tell people where 
where they can connect with yourself yeah. if they want to get in touch? Lou Campbell UK on any social media channels or lukehambler.co.uk on my website, uh, which we're getting a little bit of a revamp anytime now. So that'll be getting launched. So there'll be bits on there about the mind tribe and how to join that inner circle. Uh, and a lot of other stuff, that cool stuff that's coming. It's all going to be based purely around what's in between his ears. Brilliant, mate. Thank yeah. you. Thank right. you, boys. Top man. Speak to you soon, bud. See you later. Thanks for listening to another inspiring self-made story. And we hope you enjoyed the show. We would be very grateful if you could kindly leave us a review, as it will help us impact a wider audience. You can do this on iTunes, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to reach out on the socials, find us across all platforms using at the Self-Made Minds Podcast. See you next time and happy success making.